Hey, Michael McKeon had to start somewhere, just like everybody else. It's Short Circuit 2 this week on Why Do You Know That? Welcome to Why Do You Know That, the party podcast that wants to know why you know so much about a very specific topic. I'm Nadia Osman. I'm Steve Slaga. Hi, Steve. Hi, Nadia. She's a writer and comedian for Nerdist and Sci-Fi. Please welcome Riley Silverman. Hello. We're going to get a little bit into today's topic, which is the movie Short Circuit 2. Yes. Short Circuit 1, Short Circuit 2. Short Circuit 2. Riley, why do you know that? So I think there's this thing that happened. I don't know how true this is nowadays where like entire franchises of movies are available like on Disney plus or Netflix or whatever. And you can go watch like, like, I don't know how many kids these days, the first Iron Man movie they see is Iron Man three. Like, I think that probably if like a kid wants to watch Iron Man three, their parent probably sits them down and like, okay, well, we're going to watch the first Iron Man movie first. And then we're going to work our way through same thing with like star Wars. Like there's a whole thing of like, what are you going to, which star Wars movie are you going to watch first? Like you're going to apply, there's whole internet articles about it and how you should do it. But I feel like there's a phenomenon of like 80s kids and maybe to some degree 90s kids where a lot of times you were introduced to a film franchise when it was on cable. Mm. Like, and so I had this whole era of my life where I definitely saw sequels to movies before I saw the original movie. And like that sequel was like my entry level point into a film. So like I saw Gremlins 2 before I saw Gremlins and I saw Short Circuit 2 before I saw Short Circuit because it was on cable a lot. It was always on TV. And so, so I had- saw the sexy lady gremlin before you saw um, Mowgli gremlin. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's terrifying for a child, but go on. Oh, we <laughs> could all be so lucky. That's the that's the order the movies should go. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, honestly, I think Gremlins 2 is a better movie for kids to watch first because it's more of a comedy and it's, like, silly. Yeah. Whereas, like, the first Gremlin movie, like, I was scared of it as a kid. Me so, too. Yeah. My brother would watch it and I would be hide from it. Whereas, like, Gremlins 2 is so ridiculous and cartoony that, like, I can really enjoy it. Even though, like, so much of it's, like, attempt to try to, like, make about capitalism and stuff like that like doesn't land for me at all at the time but now does and so short circuit 2 is the same thing where short circuit 2 is this ridiculous ridiculous movie to where when i finally saw the first short circuit i found it really boring (laughs) that happens when with a lot of especially these ones in the 80s a, a lot of sequels the they make the first one just a snooze yeah, and the second one is like this. And the first Gremlins is like probably it is a it's a fine movie, but like oh yeah, like there's that there's a I know this is more about Short Circuit two than Gremlins two, but there is that great Key and Peele sketch about Gremlins two where it's just yes. like him naming and going it's in the movie and like it goes through the whole thing. <laughs> and that I feel like Short Circuit two is the same thing. And I remember, I I remember like one time writing a piece about the two movies and like I, I described the plot of the first Short Circuit. And then I started writing the plot of the second short circuit and I went way over my word count because the second (laughs) one, the the plot just goes these ridiculous, there's so many random B plots. The, the A plot is absurd. And like, cause the first, the first short circuit, the premise is basically this, this is the plot of the entire first short circuit movie. Uh, there is a team of scientists working on robots at this lab. Uh, lightning strikes the lab. One of the robots, uh, gains sentience when it happens, he escapes the lab. Uh, he runs into Ali Sheedy who thinks he's an alien. And then, uh, while the lab is trying to find him. And then eventually like one of the scientists played by Steve Gutenberg finds him and Ali Sheedy realizes the robot is sentient and they go on the run while the lab chases after 
after them, and then they eventually escape. That's the entire plot of the first Short Circuit movie. Yeah, just standard good uh, uh, movie-going fair, popcorn stuff. It's yeah. kind of like what Transformers are now. We've yeah. got a conflict. We've got a call to action. We've got a resolution. Yeah. She, maybe simple, simple, da- simple storytelling. Maybe so, she could yeah. dance with that robot. Maybe there could be a, an intimate moment at the end. Yeah. Uh, there's like the whole more than a woman song. And then like, uh, yeah, and they had, uh, uh, oh, um, I don't remember if it's a, um, oh, what's that? What's that? Uh, what's that? What's shoot i can't remember the name of the i i know it the family that like there's the uh the singer it's the who is johnny song is like the soundtrack song debarge so it's it's like there's there's the debarge family and there's also like just is it debarge the like he's there's also like him singing by himself and i think i think the short circuit theme song is just him on his own um i gotta look it up hang on one second uh debarge like rhythm of the night yeah Short circuit theme song. I think it's him by himself. Um, yeah, it's also it's Eldebarge does the the short circuit theme song. Who is Johnny? So like that was like the tie-in video for the movie, and like there's like footage from the film with Ali Sheedy and Steve Gutenberg and stuff like that, and like that's it. So that's that's the first short circuit. Now. I did not Wikipedia or Google Short Circuit 2 before this podcast because I wanted to see how much I could remember the plot of it. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in well over a decade at this point. Okay. Um, but I, I was at a party earlier, like about six months ago, I think, or, and I remember people were talking about it, and I recounted the entire plot of Short Circuit 2 at the party, and people could not believe that I could remember, like, like how many things I could remember from it and how much of it there is. So this is me attempting, and if this goes long and rambly, feel free to interrupt me at any point in time to comment. But I want to hear the plot. I want to hear the plot of Short Circuit Two. Okay. Spare no detail in telling us the plot of Short Circuit Two. <laughs> okay. I've got the Wikipedia plot open. Okay. I'll see if I can follow along. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea how it presents it, but this is how it begins. So we open. So uh, Fisher Fisher Stevens is back as as Benjamin Javeri, the very offensive Indian caricature. He's a, a white guy playing an Indian man. Uh, he yeah, was in right the first away movie. we should just mention that there's brown face up the wazoo oh. in this movie, and it is, it's totally not okay, and there's yeah. these, uh, uh, we can get more into that later, but just yeah. heads He's up. a character in the first movie, and they thought, why not center the entire second movie around this guy uh, as, like, the main character, the main human character? Um, so, he in the in the time since Nova Robotics, uh, the laboratory that created Johnny Five in the first movie, has shut down and scrapped their project. He has now moved to New York City, where he is selling toy versions of the robot of the of the the same robots they were building. And there's like little like like electronic robot toys. So like the movie opens with like just following one of these toys around like New York City as it, like heads into like an office building, and then this woman finds it. Her name is Sandy, and she finds the toy. Uh, and she's trying to like make a name for herself as a junior executive in this toy company. And so she finds this robot, she brings the, the seller in and she convinces him to make half a million of these robot toys for her company, which is like a, a number. He's like building them by hand and a little like, like in the back of his van. So like he has to now figure out how to make a half a million of these toys to fulfill this order. And the reason why he's making half a million is because a fellow street hustler played by Michael McKeon has come in and declared himself Ben's partner to help make the sale and make himself rich off of the sale. 
So then Ben uh, writes a letter to to Sandy and Newton, who are the, uh, or sorry, Sandy, not Sandy, to Ali Shee's character and Steve Gutenberg's character from the first movie, who do not appear in this film. But he writes them a letter telling them what's <laughs> happening, asking them for help to build his robots. And they ship him the sentient Johnny Five robot from like the middle of nowhere they're living all the way to New York in a crate so that he can build the <laughs> robots for them. But she gives him very specific instructions to not let him know that he is in a big city because he will go crazy for input as a robot and want to like explore the city. What so, specific like, instructions to just be like, hey, listen, somebody wants to, okay, so I need to make half a million of these toys. No problem. We got the big guy. Don't let him out or else. Yeah, they basically oh, oh, like send okay. him off to work in a robot sweatshop. They like Shanghai number five <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, and and so they and the, what the where that where they're working is that uh, Michael McKeon has secured like a limited lease on this old like rundown warehouse that is located across the street from this major bank, and that's very important because. There's also a gang of jewel thieves led by one of the guys who works at the bank who were planning on digging a tunnel underneath the streets from this warehouse into the safety deposit box vault of this bank in order to steal these very valuable diamonds that are going to be held in the bank for one month. So... This is known as the Vanderveer Collection. Yes, the Vanderveer Collection. Yes, so, so <laughs> Which they... Which definitely it is, sounds... It has such, like, uh, uh, 80s prep vibes. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to summer at Cape Cod. You should be wearing the Vanderveer Collection. <laughs> yeah. Oh, darling, put on your Vanderveer. Oh, right, yes. and I forgot. The reason that they... The reason that they sent Johnny five is because he had hired a crew of people to build the robots for him, but these bank... Like, these, these, these bank robber guys came in in mass and smashed up the entire facility and all the employees quit. And that's why they have to have the robot do it instead. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. Just, just to clarify. Okay, yeah. so he was like, all right, I got to build half a million little toys. Let me hire some folks. Yeah. Understandable, because it's a big order. Yeah. Then the jewel thief gang comes in and says, hey, I don't like this, and just yeah. beats it up, beats up the place. Yeah, they, didn't, they don't even say out. anything. Yeah, they don't, they don't even say what they're doing or why they're there. They just come in, and, like, Michael McKeon thinks it's the guy who, like, he's like, no, I, I, I paid the place up. It's good for, like, another month or whatever. And he thinks he thinks it's, like, the owner of the building, like, muscling them out of their space or whatever. So then the robot comes, and the robot starts to build toys. And, like, while that's happening, uh, he then finds out that he's in a city and leaves the building and goes roaming the streets of New York, where he befriends a local street gang called Los Lobos. And Los Lobos, because he's like a naive robot, they, or Los Locos, sorry, not Los Lobos, Los Locos, uh, because they have their saying is Los Locos kick your ass, Los Locos kick your face, Los Locos kick your balls into outer space. And <laughs> that is good. That's yeah. a good slogan. Yeah. It's uh, also a good like wedding toast. You know what I mean? Like at the end when they finally like have told stories about the bride and group and they're like, all right, we'd like to raise a glass. Yes. And then you, and then you say that at the end and then everybody drinks. Exactly. So then, so, so Johnny five, the robot goes like wandering the city. He meets Los Locos who like, they 
because he's naive, they they talk him into robbing stereos from every car on a, a city block. They tell him that they're from the Department of Car Stereo Repair, and they have to repair. They have to open up all these car doors, and because because he. He has a thing on his on his like he has like a utility belt basically that can unlock any car because he has like a like a, a multi key tool basically and so they like get him to to like steal every car stereo from this like street full of things and then they like spray paint him like a like like a like like they like they, they like tag him up with their colors and they give him like a bike chain and like a a torn off jacket he's part of their gang and then he's wandering the streets and then he runs into Oscar who is the man who works in the bank who's also the leader of the of the jewel thief gang and he takes them he takes him back to uh Ben Ben and I think Fred Fred is Michael McKeon's character he takes the, him back there because he's like trying to get inside the building and learn what's what's happening in the building and then he figures out like that the he like he befriends Johnny because his plan is to use the robot now to dig the tunnel under the, the city like once he finds out the robot can be capable of something like that so that's like his plan meanwhile Michael McKeon's character finds out that the robot alone is worth millions more than the order of the toys themselves. So then he starts his own separate plan to sell the robot, which results in him like taking the robot to some random like auction of like rich industrialists, like in the top, like top floor of a building. And the robot tries to escape and like, hang glides his way he like crashes through a window and as he's falling he like hang glides his way out so that's a thing that happens uh also a subplot of the movie is that benjamin has a crush on sandy the woman who runs the who's like buying the toys and he's he goes on a date with her and he's like too super shy and not sure how to talk to her and so johnny five who now apparently is just allowed to leave the house and wander around when they need him to he uses the uh like like the radio and signal signals on his antenna to control a street sign to slip messages to ben in a Cyrano de bergerac style of like giving him things to say while ben is on his date so he can sweet talk sandy uh, oh my god yeah and then sandy and ben uh bond over their mutual love of oldies music which ben has been studying as he's trying to pass his citizenship exam to become a citizen of the united states uh and it's like part of like his cultural study of america so yeah i forgot that throughout the whole movie ben is occasionally like just randomly studying for the citizenship exam while he's like doing other stuff so then uh eventually all that happens and then the motorcycle gang uh, the, the, sorry, the, the Jewel Thief gang kidnap Ben and Fred and they lock them in a Chinese restaurant freezer. Meanwhile, they convince Johnny Five to dig a tunnel underneath the streets of New York and, and into this thing to get the diamonds out. And then once they get the diamonds out and they're like, a, like they're like down the street with them, they just try to completely just destroy Johnny Five by beating the shit out of him with crowbars and stuff like that. And it's horrifying as a child to watch because you're literally watching this character that you love be brutally beat down in the street with crowbars like you don't as a kid you're not like oh it's a robot it's fine like it feels horrifying so then yeah, while this, that's this thing has sentience it has jokes like yeah. what also a crowbar is not gonna do shit to that thing it probably is made of like some special titanium steel so you're just seeing pain you're yeah. just seeing pain on something you love but it does Fuck do. It, it beats the crap out of him. Like he, like they smash his eyes, and they like. Oh my it's, god! It's, it's the one thing I remember about this movie off the top of my head was 
how beat up uh, yeah. Johnny gets. I always call him short circuit. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. When the first movie, he's number five. And then at the very end, he yeah. calls himself Johnny five. So this whole movie, he calls himself Johnny five. And, uh, oh, and he replaced in the first movie, he has a laser cannon, but in this movie, he's replaced laser cannon with a toolbox that basically has literally any tool the movie needs him to have. Like, it's just this like Batman utility belt of whatever he needs to have is in this toolbox. So, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, he's like pleading to them like to stop. Like he's like screaming and yelling and, and begging them to stop beating him up and and yelling, "No, why are you doing this?" And they're just like torturing him. Uh, meanwhile, Christ. so Benjamin and Fred are locked in this Chinese freezer, and they find they find their way over to what used to be like a phone line, and they they like rewire a calculator into the phone line so that they can make a call out using Morse code, and then they actually call Sam. Sandy, and then like they like because Benjamin was supposed to have a date with Sandy that he didn't show up for because he was locked in this freezer, and so Sandy stayed up all night like sad and upset that Ben stood her up and fell asleep. And so when they call her, her answering machine picks up, which is like old school like tape recorder answering machine. And when they get to the machine, the machine picks up. They realize that neither of them know Morse code. So the way that they get a message out to Sandy to come help them is that they start typing out basically. MIDI versions of all the oldie songs that Sandy and Ben bonded over that give her a series of directions that lead her all the way through New York City and to the exact area of town where this restaurant is once they know that that's where they are. And so like the first one is like, help me Rhonda. And then like, she's listening to that. And then she, when she figures out that it's Ben sending her a message, like needing help, she like calls a cab and she and the cab, it is a whole action sequence where she and the cab driver are like trying to figure out what each of the songs do and like one of them is like dock of the bay because they're coming down to bay street and then the very last one is duwa diddy because it's duwa's chinese restaurant like it's that level of like ridiculousness so she comes down she frees them they're like almost frozen to death in the in the freezer when she gets them she takes them back home to their warehouse right when they get there the cops have arrived through the tunnel from the bank they arrest benjamin thinking that he's the mastermind of the jewel thieves michael mckeon runs away he finds the beat up body of johnny five he takes him to a radio shack where he helps with johnny's instructions to rebuild him with random parts from the radio shack and johnny goes chasing after the jewel thieves but he's he's leaking battery acid because he's so damaged and it's supposed to kind of feel like blood like it's actually like it's like drops of red liquid that follow him wherever he goes and his oh battery is yeah and his battery is draining and the idea is that once his battery is drained he will just be dead and so then he Fucked he chases up. yeah he chases down Oscar the leader of the jewel thieves and there's this whole sequence where Oscar is like getting away on like a speedboat on like the one of the one of the Manhattan rivers and Johnny and like and uh uh, holding out for a hero is playing during it, which is fantastic. <laughs> and Johnny uses his his uh, toolbox of many tools and like makes essentially a like a Gatling hook and like swings over the river and grabs Oscar off of the boat and like lands on the ground with him using the last bit of its energy. And then he runs out of power and seemingly dies. And then they actually like the EMTs come and they actually use the like life paddles to paddle Johnny back to life. And like, you think, you think he's dying and then like he gets a little bit of energy at the end and then it cuts to 
like I, sometime later where now Benjamin is taking his citizenship exam and then it cuts over and Johnny has been repaired and he's now painted gold and he is also taking his citizenship exam and becoming the first robotic citizen of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I know, like, one of the plot points is that, like, uh, Fred, Fred, um, Michael McKeon's character, Fred, has this silk shirt that he thinks is, like, super valuable and matters a lot to him. And, like, there's a really good, like, a character moment where you're supposed to, like, realize that his character is becoming a better person is he tears his own silk shirt in order to, like, wrap a tourniquet type thing around Johnny's frame to hold his battery acid in. <laughs> oh, well, there's so you- much... There's so much uh, to unpack. That was more information than the Wikipedia plot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also when he when he goes back to the bank uh, to the to the warehouse after meeting Los Locos, he recites the Los Locos like chant and he gets in trouble for it for like having potty mouth. Los Locos are not even mentioned on Wikipedia. Oh my god. Uh, but yep, the polyphonic ring, uh, polyphonic renditions of ring. Uh, why do I keep saying ringtone? Uh, polyphonic renditions of songs. Uh, the restaurant Duwas, um, according to Wikipedia, but I might believe you over this Wikipedia synopsis. Uh, Sandy orders a thousand of his toys. Oh yeah, maybe it's only a thousand. Uh, but aside from that, you need to get on Wikipedia, click edit, and uh, and fix this because <laughs> I mean most of it's here. But yeah. That- that was amazing to listen to. Not just because this is a movie that um, I didn't watch a ton as a kid, uh, so I've only really seen clips. But also, if I had watched it as a kid, I think I I don't know that I would have been able to recall as much information. Uh, because when I think back to other movies as kid, like I, there's so many things that you kind of just watch on repeat when you're a kid. Whether that's because you happen to have a home video of it, or like. Like you said, you just kept catching on cable or if that was the thing that your parents rented a bunch. And to this day, there's stuff where I'm like, was that movie even real? Like, there's so many films where I'm just like, I think, I think that was a movie. Like, I cannot for the life of me recall. And I have no idea if that's just like childhood trauma repressing itself. Yeah. Or if it's like, but this movie's so insane that it, it, like, the minute you start recounting this, I'm like, Oh yeah, if I'd watched all that, I probably would have remembered that. Yeah, because I watched a lot of movies as a kid. I was a big movie nerd kid, like a lot of us were. Especially, I think a lot of us who were in comedy and entertainment loved watching movies as kids. And uh, I mean, who doesn't really? Who's like, I don't like movies, but like uh, of our age anyway. But and there's, there's movies that I that for some reason like I would definitely say are more my favorite movies. Like this is not a movie where I'm like, oh, I love Short Circuit too. I just for some reason that entire plot is burned into my brain, and it's I don't know if I. I don't feel like I watched this movie more than like any of the Indiana Jones movies or Back to the Future or Star Wars and stuff like that. But I just, for some reason, that movie is just constantly one that I remember. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of memorable moments to be sure. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's just like you said, maybe because it's so off the wall and so weird that I just remember so much of it more than I remember anything else. And like, like, Gremlins 2, we were talking about, like, I could remember lots of random things from it, but I don't think that I could piece it together as, like, the coherent plot of the movie the way that I can with Short Circuit 2. Uh, can I tell you a couple of movies that this did better than at the box office? Sure. Uh, Pretty in Pink. Wow. Three, three Amigos, About Last Night, The Fly, and Little Shop of Horrors. That All sh- did shocks worse. me, because, like, Three Amigos is one that, like, I would... 
at, like completely objectively say I like more as a movie and is obviously a better movie. And so it's weird that like this movie has kind of been forgotten. Like the short circuit movies, both of them feel like they've kind of been forgotten by the cultural zeitgeist, but like three amigos is still pretty well remembered. And like, obviously little shop of horrors is like a classic and stuff like that but yeah if this was like bar trivia and it was like which one of these uh was the highest box offer box office winner and then you listed these there's no way in hell i would have said short circuit too yeah i, just, I mean in 2020 said- america i would believe that a short circuit too would be the most popular thing <laughs> yeah and I, I don't know i wonder if it hasn't like stayed in the zeitgeist specifically because of the brown face and like the fact that that makes it like not age as well because like there yeah. are yeah. there are a few movies like that like that i feel like people like watch it now and they go oh this is kind of painful like i don't think i would be i don't know if i'd be able to sit through watching all of it again now although i might i might for the pure ridiculousness of it and the the bonnie tyler of it all but otherwise like i don't know um so the director john Badham, wanted johnny five to kind of look 50 to 100 years ish in the future. And so when I first saw it, <laughs> which I think is like one very endearing that it's like, it looks like he's kind of from the future, but not too much from the future to like scare you. Like um, He looks like a boombox on a tripod. What do you mean it from the future? I know, oh, that's completely. Yeah. That's but he, the, why he also does look a lot like Wally. Because I remember when Wally was yeah. first coming out, I think a lot, that was like the only time I think Short Circuit like regained any sort of notice in the zeitgeist was people were like, by the way, I've said zeitgeist more than I think I have in the last year on this episode nah. of this podcast. <laughs> but I, I feel like, I feel like when Wally was first coming out, before anyone had seen it, they were like, "Oh, it's just short circuit or something like that." Until they saw, it, I'm like, "No, it's actually a, a good movie." But yeah, uh, when I first saw clips, I was like, "Oh, this is Rex from the Star Tour, the original Disneyland Star Tours ride, which yeah. was voiced by um, uh, 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 Paul Rubens." And at first, I was like, "Oh." So he must have done this voice too. And then I realized, no, it was a completely different voice actor, Tim Blaney. Uh, as a puppeteer as well uh tim blaney ended up doing uh both the short circuits he was the pug in men in black oh nice he uh also has done a bunch of other puppeteering for the muppets etc so and and um he's in the puppets on dinosaurs like he he has he has a, a storied career i'm sure he's got tales to tell but uh it reminded me so much of what they were trying to do on a Disneyland ride. Like that's all I could think of when I was looking at him. And I, I wanted to, then I found out that the biggest inspiration for the design of Johnny five is this organ plane robot that they saw at a robotics exhibition at the Tsukuba expo in Japan, where there was a, like two camera eyeballs in quotes to kind of scan music. Uh, I, I just wanted to put it out there to the group. Like, do you guys think that the short circuit robot is, like, it doesn't even break the top five robots. Because, like, to me, R2-D2 is, like, the ultimate robot. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay, so I think that, like, if you, because if you, if you, if you can list every Star Wars robot individually, then I think definitely not. But if you can, like, go into, like, famous film robots, I might put them in the top ten at least, but. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm feeling he's a seven. I feel like he's number seven. <laughs> 
I don't know who top six are. I don't know who eight, nine, and ten are, but I know that uh, Johnny Five is seven. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Wait, when, I, when I went to look up the IMDb to see like the thing, a plot point that I forgot from the film is that after Johnny escapes from the like meeting to try to sell him, and he's roaming the city by himself, he gets like picked up by a cop who thinks he's like someone's remote control toy and like is like messing with people, and he gets impounded, and like Benjamin has to go pick him up from the impound, and it's like, and it's like, uh, it's like like frustrated that he's being impounded because he's a living creature or whatever. <laughs> I forgot that. I forgot about that part. Cause he like steals a, sh- he steals a shirt to try to blend in with the city. And he like wanders around just like an oversized shirt with a robot head. And I, I remember very clearly he's going like, yeah, I'm just in from out of town. I'm visiting from another place. I'm a tourist. Like he's like trying to pretend to be like a human in the city. Cause yeah, I think like your top five fil- robots, if you're always talking about movies, Maybe, but I'll, like, I'll say I'll say popular media. Let's say popular media. So, like, I'll throw Bender in, in um, like a data from Star Trek might Bender, be data, yeah. Rosie, the yeah. robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Wall- yeah, yeah. Wally's going to be in there. Wally. So yeah, well-known like, robot. So there's your top Not- five right there. Like, like if you put just Star Wars, if you can't like list each Star Wars droid individually, because otherwise I could be like three PO, BB eight, and R two D two are the top three already. But so if we just go Star Wars, we'll take R two D two, and then like I would say like maybe not in this order, but R two D two Bender is in there. I think definitely. Uh, I think Rosie. I think Wally, and I even think like um, um, Hal from like two thousand one would be in there yeah. before you could. Probably, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. Unless you're like so yeah, maybe so, so Johnny Five's kind of near the bo- he's not for Johnny Five is 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 on par with Vicky from Small Wonder in my yeah. mind like <laughs> and like the robots from like robots from like Lost in Space or the robots from like Buck Rogers and stuff like that yeah he uh Johnny Five's got a very um season blank of your favorite reality show and it's one of the contestants that leaves early but isn't the first to leave like leaves episode three or four and you're like Oh, but then you're like, oh, I, I get why they left. Like, it's not exactly, like, they're not going to be the Bianca Del Rio of the robot world. You know what I mean? They're just they're not going to reach those. Yeah, heights. Johnny Five is not, Johnny Five is definitely uh, an Ivy Winters at best. <laughs> I'm looking up, I found a Pace Magazine list of, well, it starts at 100 and goes the other way, so I don't know how far to go down, but it has the top 100 robots of all time in movies, and I'm wondering how many of I wonder how far you have to go to get Johnny Five. Oh, it has Johnny Five at number 82 out of 100. There you go. Wow. Oh. Who's 83? 83 is uh, the blanks from The World's End, like the, like the, the like faceless robot monsters from World's End. Wow. And what's 82. 82 is uh, 82 is Johnny Five. Um, oh, what's 81? 81 is uh, Adam, Metro, and Twin Cities and Zeus from Real Steel in 2011. Okay. 80, number um, 80 is the Fembots from Austin Powers. <laughs> Johnny Five placed lower than the Fembots. Yeah. That I'll, that I'll, I'll buy. That I'll, I'll agree. I, it literally placed lower than Sid 6.7 from Virtuosity, a film that I forgot existed. <laughs> This is future topic on this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't I don't know a lot of these robots. I, I'm surprised. The Lost in Space robot on this is 71, and the the Flight the Navigator robot Max is 70. So I'm really curious about I'm not gonna go through this whole list now, but I'm curious like where they put what robots now. Like I wanna know I, their number one's not R2D2, the whole thing can just go in the trash. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's gotta be R2D2 at because 
he's so endearing. Like I, I went back and rewatched all the Star Wars is in order before the, the last one came out. And R2-D2 was consistently my favorite thing. Because I was like, I R2-D2, get him. R2 is one of the ones who I think actually, like, is one of the rare things where I think his arc is somewhat made more fun by the prequels existing and the sequels. Because, like, if you, if you take for the fact that the prequels exist, like... There's dumb things like them giving him jets and stuff that he didn't have in the prequels and not have and doesn't have them in the sequels, but in the, in the original trilogy. But like the fact that R2's memory wasn't erased and C3PO's was means that like throughout the original trilogy, R2 just knows a bunch of stuff that he's choosing not to share with the heroes. Like, yeah. like yeah. when R2 oh, like, like when R2 and Yoda first meet in Empire Strikes Back. They're basically doing a comedy routine to mess with Luke because R2 and Yoda know each other. Like, they, there's at least one episode of Clone Wars where R2 and Yoda, like, go off on a thing together. And so the idea that, like, now, like, they're like, yeah, okay. So R2's, like, in his beeps being like, okay, I'm going to, you try to steal my flashlight and then hit me with the cane. He's going to make him so mad. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> That's because R2 knows snitches get stitches. Like, yeah. he knows to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. And he's smarter for it. Um, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe they forgot. Like, you know how sometimes you run into someone at a party and you forget that you went on, like, a side adventure with them and have that moment of, like, hi, yeah. nice to see, meet you, see you. Yeah, 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 we've met before. That's right. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. You know how often you forget the one guy that you met that's, like, one of only two members of his entire race that you've ever <laughs> <Yeah>. met? <laughs> Exactly. Gosh, do I know about that. You know how when you like start hanging out with this dude and you know for a fact that his father went evil and is now like the ruler of the galaxy. Uh, well, the ruler of the galaxy's side, like second in command. But like you go to see him and like he starts to follow on his dad's path and you don't at any point go, hey, I should probably give you the heads up that this guy you're chasing is your own father. Like you're like, nope, no stitches, no, no snitching, man. He knows. He knows to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. That or he's just really afraid that he thought Yoda was actually Yaddle and um, <laughs> and was like, I can't, I cannot, I can't call the wrong name. <laughs> okay, I'll just pretend. I'll just, you know what? We never. We, I don't know. I don't know you. I, I haven't met you before. I'm just going with that. That is an easier thing than being embarrassed. Maybe R two is the only one who knows that the child exists at that point in time, and he's like, "I don't want to mention this kid. It's going to be awkward if I do." So I'm. Just it took me a second to realize you mean Baby Yoda. Yeah. Uh, which I know is technically the name. The I child, know. I, it's, but, I know. But I it too. in my in my head, it has to be Baby Yoda. Yeah. Um, as I was looking up some other stuff, I realized that the director also. So I guess this is for the first short circuit movie. Includes callbacks to earlier films, including Saturday Night Fever. So there's this dance sequence yeah. um, that happens. Do you know, or does anybody here know, if he does that at all in Short Circuit 2? I haven't seen it in so long that I couldn't tell you what it's play, paying homage to. I'm sure it probably does. Um, I could probably you know look what? at IMDb it and see it if it does It doesn't matter because I, fuck, I fucked this up anyway because it turns out that Kenneth Johnson was the director of Short Circuit 2. So yeah. the guy who came up with everything, they're just they're just taking his creation and going, we'll take it from here and then running with it and, and making it completely insane. 
Yeah, I think it happened a lot with uh, 80s sequels where they're just kind of like, yeah, just throw this to somebody else and we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens with it. Oh, like, we we know the natural... We, we know you started this story, but we know the natural next place for these characters to go. <laughs> yeah, or it's just like, hey, we just want to make a quick buck off this. Let's, yeah. How can we shoot a movie that's cheaper and like hire somebody left? Yeah. Um, although I can't imagine the second movie being cheaper than the first one because of how much like it's shot in New York and stuff like that. Maybe not. Maybe it was shot in Canada. I have no idea. Uh, I do know that the writers of one of them, the first one or the second one also wrote batteries, not included. So they had like a whole career of like 80s style, uh, like robot movies, I think. Man, those guys are just obsessed. Yeah, Um, I think, I think that's right. I could be totally wrong. I could be lying. Something that I found out is that Johnny five was originally going to be stop motion. Now, that just adds a whole other level of weirdness, in my opinion, because it's like there's one thing to be interacting with this like full live robot in in a way that you. you I mean, it's it's different now. I think from 1988 because like you see kids with robots or like people buy drones as a toy, but it's essentially that, right? But like to imagine the robot as stop motion and then they have to interact with that. That just see, like that's the first place you guys went to. I don't know. I was just like, huh? What? No. What? Okay. So I just looked up the writer. Yeah, I, I'm glad they didn't do stop motion. I, I looked at the writers. I'm looking up to see if they worked on both these movies as teams together. But they, but the same writers did write both movies. Uh, uh, Brent, Brent Maddock and S. S. Wilson, and. And now I wonder if S.S. Wilson's one of those things where it's a woman. I think it is. I think it's one of those, a woman who used initials. I could be wrong. I can't tell this. I can't tell in this picture if this is a woman or a man because of the angle and the, and the graininess of it. But uh, here are some other films written by the writing duo of S.S. Wilson and uh, I think it's Brent Maddock. Yeah, Brent Maddock, S.S. Wilson. Together they wrote short. They wrote first they wrote Short Circuit. Then they wrote short. Cir- they wrote batteries not included. Then they wrote short circuit two, and then they wrote all the Tremors movies. Nice. <laughs> um, wow. They had an epic story to tell. They with wrote those Tremors. They wrote Ghost Dad. Uh, they wrote. Well, okay. So they wrote. They wrote the screenplay and the story to Tremors and Tremors two aftershocks. Looks like they wrote the story for Tremors three. And Tremors 4, it says they wrote the story. It looks like they, I, I think all they got was, um, they wrote some episodes for the Tremors TV series and they got credit for creating the characters. Uh, and then they also wrote, okay, they got, they got writing credits for based on characters created by for Tremors 5 and a new Tremors movie. However, I get They're it. They're like, sitting on Tremors money. Y'all, I just learned from this IMDb. Oh, they also wrote Heart and Souls and Ghost Dad. <laughs> Ghost Dad and Wild Wild West. So they had a thing for robots. Wild that, Wild West. I don't but know that I've. I mean, uh, yes, 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 yes. There's Go a on. Short Circuit remake that's in that that was uh, optioned. I don't know if it's going to happen or not because it's one of those ones where you're only seeing like development notes for it. But it looks like someone is working on a remake of Short Circuit. But the only credited writers them are are, are them right now as as a. Uh, there's actually a screenplay. Like came... Oh, okay. There's so no it's director not just attached like to it. We came up with these characters. It's like we're actually helping write this. I, it said it looks like story and characters, but looks like there's uh, 
a Dan Milano and a Matt Lieberman and a Lindsay Beer attached to it as writers. So I wonder if someone is actually like remaking the first short circuit films. Maybe they're getting credit for story because it was their first film. Like it's based on their actual movie. So, mm. but I don't know who's developing it, but yeah, that could be like a busy Phillips blades of glory situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think you have to have an IMDb Pro account to find out more details about the business side of this. But mm. it says right. re- uh, rehab. If anybody has an IMDb Pro, uh, email us your password at why do you know that pod <laughs> at gmail.com. And Username we'll use, and password, please. We'll only use it for this. We won't use it to, you know, make any kind of uh, Hollywood connections. Um, put head- headshots on our own accounts. Yeah. <laughs> um. So going back for a second, so originally, I guess, um, Ben, our protagonist, who's not Johnny Five, who ends up becoming the main character of Short Circuit 2, he shows up in Short Circuit 1, um, they wanted to make him Indian. And to accommodate this change, actor Fisher Stevens was fired and then replaced with Bronson Pinchot. Is that how you say his name? Bronson Pinchot? Uh, yeah, who played Balky on Perfect Strangers. And then he was fired. And then they put Stevens back in the role. Oh my that God. That is so funny because I've always, like, in my memory, it was Balky. And I'm, I always think that Balky was in this movie. <laughs> maybe maybe it's a, um, a Mandela effect thing and you come from a universe where Balky did play this character. Yeah, it's crazy that he almost did. <laughs> or I don't know, maybe it might just actually be that, like, Balky was himself kind of like such a, like, a, f- a weird caricature of like, yeah like yeah like he at least like they at least he was just supposed to be like greek or something and not like indian but still yeah yeah it's They're, not great the brown yeah. face legacy of this film is is just not okay i don't know no, what else to say no, it's yeah. not okay. you cannot do it's just like it's badly it's ill-advised i don't entirely know why they went with that Particularly because uh, at the end of the day, Fisher Stevens' caricature is like very stereotypical. Like when you watch clips online, there's a lot of these, uh, there's a lot of accents, stuff work that's happening that makes you go, but why? Uh, There's a lot of sort of goofy manners that makes you go, but why? Yeah. Uh, We have to put aside the fact that like there's not very many portrayals of uh, South Asians now that work that like, we don't have a ton of them. Like there's just not that many people in the industry in America and it sucks ass and it needs to change. So the fact that like, this is one of the very few seems (laughs) questionable is the most charitable, charitable word that I can give it. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, it's sad that we're literally in an era where we only just got, Hank Azaria to stop playing a poo on the Simpsons. Like that's, yeah. So like, that's how, that's where we are in 2020. Was it this year or late last year when he announced that he wasn't going to play the character anymore, but like that's, that happened this year. And like, I, I actually, I imagine the Simpsons probably started around the same time this movie came out. So like, that was like the kind of casting choices they were making. So this movie, this movie came out in 1988. So I think Simpsons was coming on around that time. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah uh, Tracy Ullman show would probably be around the late 80s, yeah. Yeah, the 80, 89 was the time this TV series began, so they probably cast Hank Azaria around the same time they cast Fisher Stevens for this. Well, he was already cast because he was in the first movie, but still. Um, it's just it's just crazy to me that... And his last name changes. 
Does it really? I didn't know that. I knew I knew it was Ben, but I, I haven't seen the first one in so long that I forgot. There's, I know there's a lot of jokes in the second movie that like people can't pronounce his last name. And it's so weird because it's so weird to see like Michael McKeon in it too, because Michael McKeon has done like so much great work over time, and this is just a movie where he's kind of like just a dude and like. Yeah, that's the other like kind of just uh, I don't want to say overall disappointment is like. You know, this is Spinal Tap. All the Christopher Guest roles that he's played. And then there's this. And you go, okay. Yeah. I get it, though. There's a part of me that's like, especially at that time, I am... I don't approve. I can understand where somebody is just like, I need a paycheck. That was around the era. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to see what else he was doing because he did Spinal Tap in like 84. And I think he was just like a workman actor around that time. He was in like a bunch of random stuff. Oh, yeah. no, he was in Clue in 85. And that alone should have put him at the top of com- comedy films. But And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. A small role, but still. Yeah. I, but I think, that, I think that's what he was for the most part was he was like a good ensemble cast person. So I think maybe he thought like, I'll be one of two leads in this movie. I should do it. Um, cause then, you know, he's in the big picture. So he's doing like, yeah, I think he was just a workman actor and he probably like didn't make a huge payday on anything and just kind of kept going from part to part. Like, yeah, that makes sense. And that's a career that I would, I would like to have. Like, that's, that's not a bad way to make a living as a, as a, no, God, no. no. If you can pay your bills just by showing up in a few things every year, more power to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was at a, um, lecture once. Uh, uh, it was like a Q and a with Jennifer Coolidge and she was, she, they, she was talking about like different roles she's had and they're not always very flattering. And she was like, you know what? If it pays right, I will audition for diarrhea lady. <laughs> she's like, uh, I get and it. She, uh, uh, somebody asked her, she brought up being on Joey, the Joey sitcom, which was, you know, <laughs> I just Probably saw a tweet about it today. That's so funny. Really? Yeah. Because somebody somebody asked, like, it was like the tweet was the reason why Joey is not on HBO Max, and then my like my <laughs> friend my friend retweeted that with the comment total lack of interests. <laughs> like, I had forgotten the Joey sitcom existed until yeah, that tweet. Two seasons. When I read that, and I watched I think both seasons of it because I used to watch like every sitcom. When I saw that tweet, I was like, why are they making a Joey spinoff? And then I was like, oh, that already existed. And I forgot that it existed. <laughs> That's so funny to be mad about it and then realize it happened 20 years yeah. ago. Well, I was like, I, I think it was more of a thing of like, how did I not hear that there was a Joey spinoff being made? And it's because it's not being made and I watched it when it aired. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Jennifer Coolidge was supposed to have a she was supposed to be on a different pilot and that didn't go. So they cast her on Joey and she's like, honestly, best job of my life. I showed up twice a week. I'd go Joey. And I bought a house in new Orleans. Yeah. Well, that's like Pat Oswalt <laughs> talked about how like the easiest job he ever had was King of Queens. It's like, he's like yeah. being fifth banana on a sitcom is like the cook, the cushiest way to make a good living as an actor. So yeah, I would totally go for something like that. Um, oh, I mean, there's Queens. that, there's that Bruce Willis effect too. of Like Bruce Willis in like, he has that whole era where he basically would like make the paycheck film, make the movie he wanted to make, make the paycheck film, make the movie he wanted to make. So like, like reason why he can be in Pulp Fiction for scale is because he did like Hudson Hawk or whatever random, like mm-hmm. big paycheck film they gave him. Yeah. I, I mean the dream I would love, I'd love for somebody to just pay me for anything at this point in general. 
Yeah, for sure. But that's where I'm at. I'm at the. I'm at very much a will anything for the food. Uh, yeah, but- I remember when when um, um, Michael Caine like he there was a year where he like wasn't at the Oscars to get his Oscar because he was on location for Jaws four. And then when, yes. when he, when he won the Oscar with cider house rules and was there to pick it up, he was like, I made Jaws four so that I could spend my career making movies like this. And I was like, that's, that's like, I, I, so I get mad when people call someone a sellout for doing like a big blockbuster film. It's like, yeah, that guy just paid or she just paid for like decades of being able to stay in this business now. I get really mad when people blame the actor or the actress or the artist because I go, don't blame them. Blame the studio for making the thing. Yeah. The studio is the one that doesn't want to take a chance. That's why you end up with so-and-so in some movie that's a remake, that's a reboot of a property that you already know as opposed to coming up with something that's new and original, like, as weird as this sounds, short circuit. So, like, I'd rather somebody do a version a their own version be inspired you know do your own version of short circuit and sell that and i'd rather see hollywood make that uh there's no reason to to call anybody out i think the michael mckean thing surprises me only because in my mind michael mckean is uh, like right up there with some of the greats so it's like why would michael mckean do this like in my for me it's just like it's like when your friend is dating somebody that and they're clearly better looking and you're like I shouldn't judge, but yeah. you can do better. Yeah. It's a little bit. I just try to the tell myself thing. that that him doing this movie is probably part why he could have like he could stay around to do the other movies. That's what I try to tell myself is like yeah. that's what like and again, like it is weird because of the whole brown face thing. It is a thing where it's like I think nowadays you would question somebody taking that movie. Whereas like back then it was st- it's it's a cr- it's crazy how much this movie does not hold up because of how bad and blatant and horrible that brown face decision is. And but I wonder like if the in the eighties it was even thought about really, you know, by by white yeah. people, obviously. But it was definitely a much more culturally insensitive time. Not that now is that much better, but it is definitely better in that we're even having this conversation. Um, and I ran across this article uh, where quest- questionableness aside on this guy, Aziz Ansari uh, spoke with Fisher Stevens about it because that was one of Aziz's earliest experiences, the scene in this Indian character. Um, and when he learned that Ben is actually white, he felt very disillusioned. And then he talked to Stevens and he doesn't necessarily consider him a villain. He just said he was an actor who needed work. And to his credit, Fisher Stevens apparently took the assignment very seriously and did a lot of research um, about India and, like, really tried to nail down the accent. Like, he really went and took it to heart. And I guess, I don't want to say went method or anything with it, but, like, took it as an opportunity to learn and not just uh, cash in a paycheck. Like, apparently he studied Hindi uh he went to india he really immersed himself uh which like to his credit i guess at that time like he could have just been like yeah i'll do a bad accent and then he chose not to so yeah as bad as the brown face stuff is i'm kind of like all right i guess that gets kind of props sure i feel like that's there's that's that like era of actors and like that generation of actors that we still have some of those voices today when we get into controversies over like casting like um like cis actors to play trans actors or like when you cast like Scarlett Johansson as apparently like any Asian culture or something like that. And there's like this idea of like, there's some generations of actors of privilege who had this mentality of like, well, a good actor should be able to play anything. And it's like, 
technically yes, but we don't have a level playing field to make that okay. Like, like the fact that like Fisher Stevens could fly to India to research this role, but like the studio couldn't fly to India to hire an Indian actor in a in a mm-hmm. in a culture that has a booming film industry. Yeah, like, that's what's ridiculous about it. Like, really, you couldn't hire any Indian actors to play this Indian character on film. Like, there was a widespread rumor that Fisher was actually Bollywood actor Javed Joffrey <laughs> to the point where Joffrey issued a statement being like, I'm not in this movie. <laughs> Stop saying that I'm in this movie. I'm not involved in this movie. But that just goes to show you that like they had somebody that could have connected them to a global audience. And instead they said, hey, slap some makeup on this guy instead and do yeah. something that is pretty offensive by today's standards even then not great but i just not had something th- that people were talking about or having a conversation about really yeah i just had a thought too and I, this this actually bums me out too is that like if they had hired an indian actor to play ben in the f- first short circuit i bet you they never would have even tried to, to center short circuit to around that same character like uh, that's like yeah. that's a that's like such a disappointing thought to have like it sucks that like they probably only were willing to risk making this indian character the main character because it was still a white guy playing him like and maybe like i don't know the motivations of anybody but i just i feel like that would have been the case yeah i can i can see that and it's just so sad on all sides that like that makes that, that makes sense that 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 is how that would happen and it's funny because yeah. i just realized because you mentioned pretty in pink being that same year is that like Oh no, I'm thinking of 16 Candles, but like you have oh, Long yeah. Duck Dong where it's like, even when they cast a real actor of that like ethnicity, it doesn't mean that the 80s wouldn't be full of a horrible caricature of that actor. So it's like, it's it's unfortunately kind of a lose-lose situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. But its plot is so insane that I'm like, I do kind of hope that it gets remade almost beat for beat, but just update, just like, just yeah. a new coat of paint on this thing because the idea that they would get a robot and then be like, let's use the robot to dig a tunnel to the bank across the street so then we can steal jewels for a jewel thief co-op that we have going on is, I love it. Yeah. It's so fucking insane. I love it. And I, I feel like <laughs> they, made, they, they made it nowadays too. I feel like the, the, weird like immigration subplot would be so much more of like a button on it of like trying to make some valid like some like deep point about the nature of immigration today like it would like be a paddington so paddington 2 situation which <laughs> yeah. those are delightful films but like that you know, that that's not the place that i thought those films were gonna go in and i'm i'm glad that they did but yeah yeah, I do think that they would make it like this film is about this other thing as opposed to this is a fun romp with a weird robot uh, traversing Toronto made up to look like Manhattan. Yeah. And uh, bothering people by being like, I'm a tourist here. Bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's like- you know what it is? It's too, it's just like late 80s <clears throat> cocaine was a hell of a drug. Like yep. late 80s cocaine infiltrating, I mean, all, honestly, the entire 80s, but like the fact that so many questionable choices get made repeatedly throughout this decade in entertainment. Uh, when we talked to Liza Skinner about Starlight Express, this is like oh about God, the same yes. time and just going like, wh- why? Why? Who approved these I choices? Miss, I miss that era where 
studios were willing to just go, yeah, do whatever. And like, and like you mentioned, like the whole franchise sequel reboot thing of like, let's take a chance and throw cocaine and money at this bizarre idea that somebody <laughs> had and just make it instead of it having to be like the, the fifth or sixth Iron Man movie or Transform movie or whatever. Like I, I always talk about how, uh, I could easily do a whole other episode of your show about the film Jupiter Ascending. And the thing about Jupiter Ascending is everyone always makes fun of it for the weird big swings that it takes. But I maintain there's nothing in that movie that is more ridiculous than anything that's in Star Wars or Guardians of the Galaxy or any of the Marvel movies. But because it's not a Marvel Star Wars or franchise film, every ridiculous choice it makes gets put under this microscope as, look at this weird thing they did. Where it's like, like literally, like the one I always hold up is that like Channing Tatum's character in that movie is supposed to be like a dog human hybrid. And everyone's like, oh, what a weird choice. And it's like Chewbacca is one of the most beloved characters <laughs> in all of cinema. And what is he but a dog human hybrid type creature? Yeah, and, it doesn't even talk. It's all, yeah. I, can't, I can't do it. I don't have the gut yeah. and go and like, how do you, water. Yeah. How do you get mad at a dog human hybrid in, the, in an era where Rocket Raccoon is a main character and, and Groot is a main character? And, and, like, and I love all those things, but. Yeah. No, that's an extremely valid point. Is Jupiter ascending the Wachowskis? Yeah, and it's okay. Look, it's they, ridiculous. They're the best at taking massive swings because I talked about this before. But um, Cloud Atlas, I know it's an adaptation, but my God, the swings that that thing takes. Yeah. But speaking it makes of inappropriate it, racial choices. Yeah, exactly. But and we've talked about it before. But I'm like, I kind of love the movie because at least. Yeah. At least it makes swings. Yeah, and I, that's will what I'll say to, about I will go to I will go to bat for Speed Racer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also a great silly big old swing of a of a movie. Yeah, yeah. a real dumb candy candy colored video game. Yeah, I, the biggest problem with with, uh, with Jupiter Ascending is just that like they clearly realized they weren't going to get a sequel while they were making it. I feel like, and so they tried to like jam the entire sequel into the first movie because like it is, it is, <laughs> it, it has. It's a movie that has two complete third acts. Like there is, there is a very clear third act that would have ended the first movie and led into a second movie. But instead, that act ends, and then what would have been the third act of a second movie happens in that movie too. Oh my god! Um, I was going to ask if we were going to remake Short Circuit Two, but the exact same plot and uh-huh. just you know, like I said, new coat of paint. So some changes here and there, but generally speaking, same stuff. Who would you want to see star in it and direct? And my vote is to have the Wachowskis direct it because it would be insane. It would bring the same kind of insanity that uh, a lot of 80s kids movies have. That's yeah. my take. But I want to hear what you guys think. I agree. I think That's perfect. I think Danny Pudi would be a really good, like, better version of Ben. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that, like, he could, like, because he has that, like, charming guy next door kind of thing. Um, maybe, maybe lose, like... Like, don't give him an accent or anything like that. Like, don't just make him a guy who's trying to build robots and he's like doing that. I can see the Wachowskis. It might be like, I don't think they can make it with the same plot. I think it would be a very different movie if the Wachowskis did it. Cause like, I don't know if like, they could make something that grounded. Like, I think that like the most grounded <laughs> thing I think I've seen them make is probably Sensei. And even that is like off the rails sometimes. So, yes. e- even Sensate has some of the most ridiculous orgy and like like there's a scene where all the characters are being born at the same time and like stuff yep. like that. So, um I'm trying to think of how I I feel like I would love to see the Wachowski short circuit. I think it would be a vastly different film. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to yeah, think of who I would make who I would give this movie to. Maybe like Lord and Miller? 
Oh, that's good. That's, that's a very good, call. good. You're gonna Riley. You're gonna get a great movie out of that. <laughs> that's a good. But call. then I would fire them and bring Ron Howard in to film the rest of it. Perfect. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. and then make it very uh, somehow make it incredibly dull. Like make a very exciting story dull. Um, and I haven't actually seen it, but apparently there's a thick with two C's robot in that one. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I will, I will low key, I will tell you that I actually love Solo and I can't wait for it to pop up on Disney Plus and hopefully get like a resurgence because it actually is legitimately a really fun movie. It's like, it's like, it's just a Star Wars heist movie basically, which is what I wanted it to be. But I would love to have seen the Lord and Miller cut without the, like the reshoots and stuff. Yeah, like a fun, a fun, funnier romp. And I think this was like more, my understanding is is more of a serious take. It, there's still some ridiculousness in it, but yeah, I don't know what of it was Lord and Miller and what was Howard because like they'd already mm. shot so much of it. But yeah, I would love if Disney Plus would would uh, throw down the gamut with uh, HBO Max. And now that HBO Max is coming out with the Snyder Cut, I want Disney Plus to go. Yeah, well, here's the Lord and Miller cut of of Solo. <laughs> but I think that now that so Lord and Miller have made so much Spider Man money, they're probably like, ah, oh, we don't need that anymore. We don't need any more Star right. Wars. Yeah, and Lego money, because they've yeah. done both of those Lego films. Good point. So yeah. they're like, they're set. Yeah, they have like, uh, they got like a $9 billion deal with Sony TV, so I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, they got enough fuck you money that they can now, they can go about making whatever they want. That's so why that I want to see their on- short circuit. They can say, fuck you, we're going to make the short circuit we want to make. So give it, give us short circuit to, don't even make a remake of the first short circuit. Make a short circuit <laughs> to remake. Go right to it. Miller. Don't even explain the backstory of the robot. I just had the robot show up in New York and make the robots and go through the whole plot. Honestly, I would love that. You know what, just what, in the opening credits, you can do some flashback scenes to tell us, because like you said earlier, it's not a complex story, Short Circuit 1. You can, couple of quick flashbacks at the opening credits of our new movie, you can say everything that happened in Short Circuit 1. Oh, just so you're do right. the same thing that, like, Spider-Man did, where you just, like, every yeah. time a new Spider-Man comes in, they give their backstory real quick of the comic book slap down. Yeah. Now that I think about it, actually, I, I, I don't want to, like do too much lord and miller uh job offers right now but i actually want to see lord and miller do gremlins because now that i think about it like that would be amazing Mm. yeah Yeah, that would be really you know it would be very frenetic but it would be really fun yeah like it would be the same in unhinged insanity of gremlins 2 but at three times the speed yeah i would like that i would like to see that yeah. Very much, actually, the more that I think about it. I think Gremlins I will always be iconic for the moment where the... It, it, like, and it, it was weird because the home video version was different than the theatrical and cable version, where, like, in the middle of the theatrical version, there's, like, a premise where the, the idea is that the film has broken and the theater is shut down. And, like, it's supposed to make you think, as an audience member, that the movie actually did break. And then it cuts to, like, a scene where Hulk Hogan, like, rips his shirt off and tells the gremlins in the, in the, in the booth to put the movie back on. Yeah. But, like, when you're watching it on home video, it's actually presented as if the gremlins are changing channels on you while you're watching the movie. And there's a whole sequence where, like, Bugs Bunny comes in and there's, like, animated gremlins and like they have like a deep fake of like john wayne like shooting at the gremlins and like <laughs> oh it's so good um i was looking what through. If... oh no sorry go ahead steve sorry steve. i was just gonna ask what if we um let's do it i remember there is a uh, i think it was either on hbo or showtime or stars uh called the chair where they had uh two different directors one was uh shane dawson from the internet uh, they had two different directors direct the same script completely differently. So oh, interesting. they had one, like, so one independent filmmaker, uh, took this script and kind of, you know, did their best to make a independent film out of it. 
And then uh, Shane Dawson made his, his uh, Shane Dawson kind of sketch comedy version of it. But I'm thinking we do what the chair did and we take the Gremlins 2 script. We give it to Lord and Miller and Ari Aster. And then we see both versions and the of their Gremlins too. And the Wachowskis, yes. <laughs> I actually think that would be a really interesting experiment. And I don't know if a studio would put the money into it, but I would love to see right? any like a movie script like that being given to like three or four different filmmakers to put out over the course of like a year or two. And like, it'll be hard. I think, I think it'll maybe even be a better experiment for like Netflix. If like Netflix had the money to like put yeah. up for all the movies and like release the like different versions of each of the movies on Netflix, like once some kind of like how Bloomhouse did that thing for Hulu. Yeah. Where every Hulu, month yeah. they did it like a different, like a, a horror movie based on the holiday of that month. What if like for a year Hulu did like every month, a different version of a movie made by a different filmmaker with the same script, but like would people get sick of the script over the course of a year or not? Like, Oh yeah, maybe. That's the one thing I can think of. Like the directors would be have to be able to take some liberties and change stuff, but the overall um, plot would need to stay the same. And I almost feel like they would all need to be released at the same time. So that way it's sort of your choose your own adventure of which one are you going to watch first? Yeah. So then you can spot the differences. So you're not necessarily watching them as like that, or they need to come out so far behind each other that you kind of, your brain has time to forget what happens. You go, oh yeah. So then you allow for the surprise of the next scene. Yeah, and like, it'd be funny if like they had each had a different cast, so you can see how like who casts what characters and how they would behave in that version of it. So yeah, I'm not mad about this at all. Yeah, it's kind of um, like to, to quote another pro- very very problematic uh, reference, um, way, way more so than even the one you referenced earlier. Like there's that Woody Allen film, Melinda, Melinda, where the idea is like a, a tragedy writer and comedy writer are writing the same script. And it's mm-hmm. like, here's this cast telling the funny version of the story. And here's this cast telling like the tragedy version of the story. And like, it's not a great movie, but that's like the premise of that film is like, it's like Wallace Shawn. It's like Wallace Shawn is, I think the comedy writer and I can't remember who the tragedy writer is. And the idea is like, they're having a debate over dinner about, if this story is a tragedy or a comedy and then like you see that and I think I think the same actress plays Melinda in both films but then like one has Will Ferrell in it and one has like somebody else in it I came across a bunch of parental reviews for Short Circuit 2 <laughs> on Common Sense Media and uh they're just very funny because for example I guess Common Sense is like it, it, it lets you know like this is a great you know based on their expert review they said that this is for ages eight and up this film right um there's some explosions and a little bit of charm and what parents need to know is that there's a lot of positive messages in this movie there's honesty friendship loyalty uh but they have the smash johnny five to pieces scene and the whole you know uh saving his life situation that might scare a child The parents, however, believe that it is not for eight-year-olds because there's such language in the film as damn and balls, shit and dickhead. And that just made me laugh real hard because this guy wrote this thing that said this should be for ages 14 plus in 2017. So he showed his kids a movie from 1988 in 2017 and then was mad 
that there's sexy stuff in it. Yeah, and took that anger to the internet to warn other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is the rating of this movie? I forget. Is it PG or PG-13? This movie is rated... What is this movie rated? Because it's definitely post-Temple of Doom, so PG-13 did exist as a rating, but I don't know what it would have been. I think uh, it's PG. Probably is because it's targeted at kids. But yeah, I th- I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb without doing any research. Well, googling movies PG. is always it doesn't. If you Google a movie, it oh PG it does say. Yep, right? I found it on yeah. IMDb. <laughs> yep. It's just very small. It could have been bigger. Yeah, Ooh, that's yeah. A fun poster. Is it two thumbs up? Even better than the original, Siskel and Ebert. Yep. Yes, they didn't seem to have a problem with all the cursing, Siskel and Ebert, because they know what art is. <laughs> yeah. However, certain other adults said uh, this movie is best for eleven-year-olds and up, at least. But they do agree that it's, d- despite the foul language, it's better than the first movie. So, parents, if you're considering showing this to your child, despite the problematic brown face, you. Uh, you might want to consult with some of the other folks on Common Sense Media and see if you agree with their assessment about the poor language that gets used. (laughs) I mean, I remember seeing this a bunch as a kid. I loved it as a kid. But I have to imagine that in the, oh my God, 32 years since this movie came out, there's parents, there's better things to take your kids to. So I say don't even listen to the reviews. Just don't, you don't, your kids don't need to see Short Circuit too. If you, if you don't want to show your kids Short Circuit, you probably shouldn't show them the fembots either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Riley Silverman, thank you so much for coming on. Why do you know that? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug at this time? Um, yeah, uh, I have an album that's available on the internet. You can find it on, I think, like iTunes and Amazon and stuff like that. And it's called Intimate Apparel. And so you can check that out there. And I do a pretty like a biweekly um, Doctor Who podcast. It's a role playing game podcast. So it's, it's in the vein of like the Adventure Zone or Critical Role, but we play the official Doctor Who role playing game. uh, And it's called The Game of Rassilon. And I play the Doctor. So check that out as well. Amazing. And where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Riley J. Silverman and on Instagram at Riley Silverman. Perfect. Um, I just suddenly had a thought of, they don't have a Doctor Who movie. It's just all versions of the T. Like, well, there's, not like in the way that there's like Star Trek movies based off the TV show. Sort of. So there was a TV movie in the 90s that was like kind of a backdoor pilot to try to, when, when the Doctor Who had been canceled in the 80s in the UK, they did try to like make an American version with Fox. That's the Paul McGann version, which is now considered like canon in between the kind of two eras. Like it's part of the overall plot because the seventh Doctor from the series is also in the movie and it regenerates into Paul McGann. But in the 60s, they actually did try to make theatrical versions of Doctor Who, and they are just serials from the 60s that were reshot as movies with with actually, speaking of, of Star Wars earlier, uh, it's actually, um, oh, I wound up thinking, hey, people are going to be so mad at me. Uh, it's actually... Um, Oh, Peter Cushing. Sorry. I, in my head, I had Cummings, like like Alan Cumming. And I was like, oh, like, yeah. Peter Cumming? That's not his name. Peter Cushing, who played Grandma Tarkin in Star Wars, played the Doctor in Doctor Who and the Daleks and Doctor Who and the Dalek Invasion of Earth. And they and actually, both have been now made with Rift Tracks as well. And Rift Tracks watched them. And, and so that is a Doctor Who movie. I 
want to see the Wachowskis do a Doctor Who movie. Oh my God. <laughs> they would swing big for sure. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, tell everyone you know every way you know how. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and be sure to go back and listen to our older episodes if you missed them. We talked about some weird stuff. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at WhyDoYouKnowThatPod or on Twitter at WhyDoYouKnowPod. They're different. And if you've got questions, comments, concerns, whatever, be sure to email us at WhyDoYouKnowThatPod at gmail.com. Let's do this again sometime. Uh-huh.